to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as usual, by Joseph Cacharo. What's going on? I love, uh, I love how you seamlessly nail those intros every time, Will. <laughs> definitely. This is definitely a one-take Drake event. Uh, and Joe Wolfon. What up? Um, guys, the biggest news in the NBA right now is Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he has become... He hasn't really surpassed LeBron as like the biggest domino to fall ahead of free agency, but... Um, he has asked the Spurs for a trade. He prefers to go to Los Angeles. Um, you know, I don't know if there's a specific preference between the Lakers and the Clippers, but assuming all things equal, probably the Lakers. Um, this decision is sort of, you know, it has the entire NBA um, waiting for what Kawhi is going to do. It has huge ramifications on the Spurs, obviously, on the Lakers, on LeBron potentially, uh, even on some Eastern Conference teams. Um the, the Celtics and the Sixers as well. But let's just start here. Um, who is to blame for this this split? Because it's kind of been a long time coming. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but it still feels very sudden that when we saw that news alert um, over the weekend that Kawhi wants out, um, it, it's, it's kind of shocking that it's gotten to this point for the Spurs. So is it more an issue on Kawhi's part and trying to engineer an exit, or is it the Spurs... Um, who have sort of mishandled the situation with Kawhi's injury? I think you got to go a little column A, a little column B. Like I, I think when a situation gets this dire between franchise player and franchise, like I, I think both share the blame. And the problem, obviously, is unless you're Kawhi Leonard, you know, you're RC Buford or someone high up in the Spurs organization, like no one really knows mm-hmm. whose fault it is because it, in the end, it comes down to did the Spurs actually mismanage this injury? And if they did, then it's obviously their fault that like their behavior led to all this, especially when then you consider, and Will, you wrote a great piece this weekend about, um, you know, how the Spurs kind of overplayed their hand with Kawhi and the different things that might have led to this. Like, for example, Pop very early on, basically throwing it out there like, look, man, we cleared Kawhi to play. Right. It's his people that won't let. So if they really did mismanage his injury from the beginning and not diagnose him properly and rush him back and then threw him under the bus like that, then it's obviously their fault and they are reaping what they sowed but you know we don't know that what if Kawhi Mr. Quiet Superstar like loved it in San Antonio perfect market for him what if this really was all along what he wanted like at some point he wanted the limelight he wanted the big market and when the injury happened and then maybe maybe both parties didn't handle it correctly maybe he fought him and his people saw that as like this is our golden ticket out if we can spin this properly in the media right and in that case obviously it'd be Kawhi's fault but again like unless you're Kawhi unless you're his people unless you're Buford or Pop or someone high up in that organization I don't think anyone knows whose fault it is and, and that includes his own teammates right I also think it's really interesting just how little we've heard from Kawhi himself throughout this whole thing so much of it just like come through the media through leaks uh, either from his side or from the Spurs side and it's like this whole time everybody's been talking about him talking around this situation and like he's been strangely absent from the whole thing and I think that's part of the reason why we know so little about it and where he's coming from and really like what his feelings about this whole situation are what his reasons are for wanting to leave what the timeline is as far as you know how the injury was managed or mismanaged and whether that kind of spurred this whole thing and like set the wheels in motion for him uh basically having an escape route from san antonio or whether like you said like that was kind of one of the things that he looked at and saw as an opportunity to to grease the wheels and get himself into a different and maybe better basketball situation but um just like looking back on this whole year like it's really hard to judge or like figure out where the schism began right like because Mm -hmm. 
the Spurs are out there saying like he's been cleared like as far as we know he's able to play um and you know like did it start when when he came back and played those nine games like uh you know Chris Haynes tweeted out basically that that there was a betrayal there or that you know Kawhi's camp feels there was a betrayal and um it's not reparable but what was the betrayal exactly you know like was it them coming out in the media and basically throwing him under the bus saying that he can play and won't or was it misdiagnosing the injury and throwing him back out there in the first place and potentially making it worse right I mean I think part of it is also just like the locker room for the Spurs seemed a little bit torn on how to handle it like Tony Parker came out and said you know Tony Parker had an injured quad as well to start the year but he said his injury was a hundred times worse and you know he said that from the perspective of you know he's in his mid-30s Kawhi's a decade younger than him he's healthy and he's out there to play so he's kind of saying like you know the subtext was why aren't you out there with us Kawhi and it very much like if you look at that roster like everyone on the Spurs sort of depends on Kawhi to carry them to the next level um we've seen what great coaching can do with sort of limited talent but like you know this season the Spurs um they snapped their 50 win streak uh, they try, I mean, they've done everything they can with this roster, really, but they need Kawhi to be at that elite level. And if you're Kawhi and you're looking at the situation, I mean, look, he probably did want to leave eventually, um, but he probably wanted to do it as a free agent. It's, I mean, you can't imagine him wanting to leave right after going to the Western Conference Finals, right? It felt, it felt like unfinished business. 61 wins in 2017. Um, they were up 20-plus on the Warriors in that game one before Zaza sort of undercut him. Uh, and, you know, from Kawhi's perspective, I think he was probably in the Spurs camp. It's just that, like, since then, so many things have gone sort of against him. This injury has really spooked him. They couldn't really agree whether it was a quad bruise or if it was a deeper issue where um, there was a fraying of, like, the nerves that uh, and the t- and the um, the tendons that was holding his muscle to the bone. That's a bigger issue than just a bruise. Uh, and, you know, it probably spooked him out. And he got a second opinion, and the Spurs weren't happy about him getting a second opinion. Basically, it's gone to this point where, yeah, there is definitely betrayal. And I don't even think we needed to know about that report because Kawhi's leaving $219 million, uh, a, a six-year Supermax that he could sign with the Spurs. He can only sign for five years, about 180 with any other club. Um, it's just not it, – it, it, there's a lot of money he's leaving on the table right now. And, you know, if, if you're the Spurs, that one contract was probably the only thing you could do to, re, you know, retain him as, a, as an asset. But right now, if you're the Spurs, you might have to look at the situation as how much can we salvage out of the situation. Because if Kawhi's intent on going and he's going to be a free agent in 2019 unrestricted, then he's just going to go. So you, you better get what you can for him now. Um, Cash, we'll start with you. How much do you think the Spurs can get out from Kawhi? Can they get full dollar on a return on a superstar like this, or do they have to settle for something less? I don't think you can ever get full dollar on a player of Kawhi's caliber. Um, like We're talking about a guy that came into this year, I believe, as the odds-on favorite to an MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He was my MVP pick coming into the year just based on you know guys like Steph and KD taking votes away from each other based on the fact that as great as LeBron is, um, you know, we know how he is in the regular season, kind of like tones it down a bit. There was a lot of reasons why Kawhi, for a team that should have won 60-plus again, with him being arguably the best two-way player in basketball, like, this is as good as it gets. If you're not, if you don't have LeBron James or, like, Steph Curry, like, those one, two, three guys, like, Kawhi is literally as good as it gets. Right. Um, and you can build a championship-caliber team around him as the Spurs have proven. proven. The guy won finals MVP as, what, a 23-year-old? Um, so... You know, 
you can't realistically expect to get that value back. I think at best, you hope for something like what Indiana ended up getting out of the Paul George trade, which even then at the time, people thought it was laughable. Everyone killed that Exactly. Trade. And then it ended up being great in, in the long run. But, you know, I think honestly, that's the Spurs kind of best hope is you get you get guys that maybe don't don't seem like they can add up anywhere near Kawhi's value and you hope that maybe the sum of those parts, one of them pops, it's a young player and, and you make that value up over time. But I just, you just, you're not getting that value for him, especially as a one-year rental. And then if you're a team like the Lakers who believes he'll stay there, like, sure, you might be a little concerned about some other team having that one-year head start on you. But if you're the, La- if, if say the Lakers are as confident as some say they are, that they could just get him a year from now, mm-hmm. are you really going to mortgage half your future when you believe you can get this guy in a year? There's other complications that go into that as well, but I, I just don't think anyone's completely selling the farm for a guy that might be a one-year rental. Right, and it's interesting you mentioned Paul George because the Lakers literally had this exact same decision last year and they decided ultimately not to trade for Paul George and OKC swooped in there. And now, I don't know, maybe Paul George goes, maybe he doesn't, but it, then the bottom line is that OKC did give up a lot eventually, in, in the end for um, someone that may or may not re-sign with them. Um, Wolf, on, like, if you're the Spurs, what kind of package are you looking for? Are you, are you looking for sort of immediate players who can contribute? Are you looking for future picks? Like, you know... What do you do if you're R.C. Buford? I, I don't have any idea. And, like, I honestly can't remember a situation like this in the recent NBA history where there's a player who, when healthy, I think, is a consensus top five player in the league, but whose value is still kind of impossible to gauge because you don't know really how serious the injury is or whether it's going to be a thing that recurs. Uh, you don't know necessarily whether he's going to stay beyond you know the year left on his contract you don't know whether there are maybe like some locker room concerns there given the way the last year in san antonio played out there are so many unknowns there that uh, i don't know what kind of package you can really expect and i think what cash said is interesting because on the one hand you have these teams who are going to be maybe scared off of offering a big package because he only has a year left and they can't be sure that he's going to resign and then you have teams that maybe are a little more certain that they'd be able to resign him that might be hesitant to give up a lot because they think they can just sign him in free agency for nothing right and so there are a bunch of things to consider there one is if you acquire him you get his bird rights uh you can go over the cap to resign him you can also give him a little an extra year and more money um, does he care about that? If he is basically punting on the supermax, does that mean that like money is not really an issue? Um, or you know, is it going to value that extra year that he can get on a contract with bird rights? You know, is that part of the reason that he's pushing for a trade now so that he can a control his destination and b uh, go to a team that can acquire his bird rights so he can still get that fifth year? He may not get the supermax, but he can at least get five years instead of four mm-hmm. if he goes to a team that trades for him. So, as far as what the Spurs can expect, I mean, like. Yeah, I, the Pacers ultimately made out like bandits, but that was a lottery ticket. You yeah, know, like like the, Oladipo turning it, like, you know, even putting aside Sabonis, who looked like he was a real find as well, but, like, what Oladipo became, I mean, like, that's that's one in a hundred. Like, he, a guy who had been a high pick and had shown some promise, but it basically plateaued as far as his NBA development, out of nowhere in his fifth year turns into an all-NBA talent. Like, that's not the kind of thing that you can bank on. Again, like... That might be what you have to do, right? It's just like the, the Spurs have done a really good job in the past of, a, you know, asset valuation. Mm-hmm. And that might be what they have to do right now is just find guys who are undervalued um, and hope that in their very strong player development system, they can, you know, build another superstar. Uh, I mean, a lot of that's going to fall on the player, whoever 
it is they acquire, but uh, I think they'll be looking for young players, players that they think that they can help develop mm-hmm. uh, and reach their full potential, along with draft assets, uh, because th- they're looking at something close to, I think, like a full rebuild, right? Right. They have guys like DeJounte Murray. They have Aldridge for another three years, but he's, he's going to be 33. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know how much longer you can bank on him being a guy that you're building even, like, a competitive playoff team around, let alone a championship contender, right? Like they, like we just saw this year, they weren't even close. I right, mean, they were playing Golden State, but still, it was people were amazed that they won forty-seven games with yeah. with the roster that they had. And like, how much longer are you going to be content to grind out forty-seven win seasons while building around a guy who thrives on post-ups and like other kind of antiquated aspects of basketball? Like, I think they need to start thinking further down the road and looking at how they can get like that next superstar that's going to carry them into the future and um as far as what they can get for Kawhi, i mean i I just think i think it's got to be a young player uh with some untapped upside Mm -hmm. because looking at the teams that could potentially make a trade for Kawhi, like the celtics are at the top of a lot of people's list i think there's a zero percent chance that jason tatum is going into that trade like maybe jalen brown is involved um yeah, and, I mean the Celtics are very, have been historically really high on Jalen Brown. They've said a lot of nice things. They about have him. been, but I mean, if if we're talking about them getting Kawhi, I think maybe that's a move they're willing to make. And then you right. look at the Sixers, and it's like probably a guy like Markel Fultz is like the, yeah. the you know the foundation of a trade Sarge. package there. Dario Saric, yeah. um, guys who who are seen as having potential, but you know haven't necessarily proven themselves to be future All Stars or future MVP candidates. That uh, it might be incumbent on the Spurs to help those guys reach that level. Yeah, I mean, look, the Spurs won't be short for offers. I think they can really sort of not necessarily take their time, but they can really assess all these options. I'm sure they've gotten a flood of calls ahead of the draft. Um, you know, the Lakers have some interesting pieces to offer uh, sort of centered around the, you know, uh, I don't know if they want Lonzo Ball necessarily. It's not about Lonzo Ball, the player. It's sort of just about Lonzo Ball and sort of the, the, the family circus that comes around him. Um, but, you know, Brandon Ingram's one of those guys that could have untapped potential. Like you mentioned, that Oladipo type of potential. Um, Kyle Kuzma obviously has shown a lot as well. So there's some interesting pieces there. The Clippers can offer some extra picks, and they can send back Tobias Harris, which eh, is not great, but it's kind of the floor for what you can expect for Kawhi. The Kings reportedly might uh, be shopping the number two pick, and they might be crazy enough to just, you know, throw away the number two pick for a one-year rental. Yeah. So, um Cash, if you're the Spurs, though, like, do you have any consideration in terms of where you're trading Kawhi to? Are you saying that, like, look, I don't care what kind of package we're getting, we're not sending him to the Western Conference, we're not sending him to the Lakers, or are you sort of just settling for, we just want to get the best return possible, forget the optics? Yeah, I've always been of the opinion that you just get the best package available. Like, you're you're, you're supposed to be, like, future-minded and forward-thinking and, like, looking ahead long-term, and I you got to take the best package available that'll help your franchise long term like yeah sure in the short term if you want but most importantly long term and like sustainability wise and i just don't like look this isn't baseball where you're playing everyone in your division 19 times a year and it's like so the schedule is so division heavy and Mm -hmm. your division really determines your playoff chances um you play everyone in your conference three or four times and everyone in the other conference two times yeah and yeah the playoffs obviously you have to go through the teams in your conference but like if you're going to turn down a superior package because you have to play that team one extra time and then you might run into them in the first... Like, I don't know. I just think that's really, really short-sighted thinking that I, I would never subscribe to. I also think if they do make a trade, uh, they're 
they're shifting their competitive window. They're kind of kicking the can a few years down the line, right? Like they're they got to be looking like at getting back into the championship conversation in like three, four, five years. So where Kawhi ends up doesn't really matter for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future, right? Like they're they have to understand. I think that they're not going to be in the championship conversation for the next little while, and recognize that it doesn't matter where he ends up. You know, if they if they wind up being like a seven or eight seed and get bounced by a one seed that has Kawhi Leonard on it. Whatever you yeah. know, like you got to be willing to take your lumps and, and accept that you know you're you're taking the long view here. Um, so on that topic, then, what do you do going forward if you're the Spurs? Like, I I guess they could still hold on to Kawhi. I mean, it's not the smartest decision, but they could still wait. I mean, their first decision is do they trade him at the draft, right? Like, because if they want a, a if they're going to receive a high pick or something in return, um, this is their chance to control who that pick is going to be. They, or they can wait until the start of free agency and see which teams line up where and sort of that how that changes priorities for people. Or they can hold them throughout the summer, try to do that sit-down with Pop thing where Pop breaks out a bottle of really expensive wine and they have a heart-to-heart. I'm surprised they haven't already had that because it's been two months since their season is over. Obviously, Pop is dealing with some grief and, is, um, and you know, I'm sure Pop is preoccupied but i mean at the same time like you know Kawhi leonard's out there you probably want to have a sit down with him eventually uh have they not had that sit down yet I no thought... that's what they're reporting and there's a picture that was floating around of the two of them sitting in this cafe and this is like grainy photo it kind of looks like a movie poster with posters of versace and roberto benini in the background are you talking about that one yes. yeah so it's definitely very new york um but yeah i mean apparently that that picture is from 2017 so it just kind of like a, an old picture surfaced um but, I mean, like, yeah, if you're the Spurs, like, you know, you can wait, I guess. And you can maybe even wait until next trade deadline. But, to be honest, if he's not going to play for you, if he's going to continue to say, I have a quad injury, I'm not going to play, whatever, then you're kind of just, you're losing more and more um, value on, on a player like Kawhi. And so you probably want to trade him this summer. And if you do trade him this summer, though, like, what do you do as the Spurs? Because it's the future of the franchise is very up and doubt all of a sudden. Look, I think... As we've been saying, you, tr- you hope for the best package available or something that can kind of help you launch into the future. Um, but as Joe mentioned, I think the first thing for the Spurs is accepting that their championship window after 85 years, <laughs> however long it's been, is closed. And seriously, that's very foreign to the Spurs. Like, you can go through yeah, the Spurs. Sure. People, like, the younger generation knows it as, like, this the last two decades in the Tim Duncan era. And yeah, people know about the David Robinson era, but like, look at these Spurs history. Yeah, this is a franchise that's missed the playoffs four times in their forty-two years in the NBA. Like, they've never had a prolonged period. They might miss for a year and then draft David Robinson, or miss for a year and draft him Duncan. Like, this franchise has almost never had to accept like a multi-year rebuild. And I think step one for them is acknowledging that that's probably about to be the case. And I think once they accept that and acknowledge that, then they can go forward and like start thinking about the future. Kawhi is the first domino to fall. I think after that, you have to consider what you can get for Aldridge. Maybe you can't get a lot from LaMarcus Aldridge because um, of his age, his game, whatever. But like, I think you have to explore that. I, I just think they have to start making moves um, less concerned about winning games in the short term and more concerned about like what they'll look like two, three years down the line. Yeah, I think the Aldridge thing could be pretty interesting. Um he and should still have some value. Like, he had a really solid season. I, he had, a, he had, he had, had an unbelievable season. Like, he was a top 12 player in the NBA this year. Um, and, and like I was saying before, like, his game is kind of antiquated. And I don't know how effective your offense can be if it's, you know, structured around Aldridge post-ups, which right. 
based on his relationship with Pop and the Spurs and kind of how they resolved that issue seems to be a sticking point with him, right? Yeah. Like there was this whole thing with, with him and Pop when Pop basically acknowledged that he was overcoaching him um, and needed to put him in a position to succeed. And, you know, what we found that meant was kind of force-feeding him the ball and letting him go to work in the post. He's really effective at doing that. But, you know, is your system as a whole going to be healthy when when that's how you're running your offense. Um, I think the Spurs have made it work to a reasonable degree because they have a lot of sort of second side actions and cutters working off of Aldridge in the post. They have other ways of making that kind of profitable offensively. Uh, but at the same time, like, what are you going to settle for? You know, do you do you want to have him there as kind of a bridge to the next generation or do you want to just maximize the value that you can get for him right now and really make this a full-scale rebuild? I don't know if there's a right answer there, but I feel like the Spurs being the Spurs, what they would prefer probably is to have him be a bridge to the future. That's sort of how they've operated in the past, right? With these transitions of power. I just don't know if that's going to work anymore because, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that it worked out was like once in a lifetime, you know, being able to go from David Robinson and Sean Elliott to, you know, like uh, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker to Kawhi, like, that bridge seems like now it's going to be burned, basically, and there and there is not going to be like a transition of power to another foundational star. And Lamarcus was kind of supposed to be the bridge between Tim Duncan and Kawhi being ready. Right? I mean, right. Kawhi accelerated, obviously, but like he was supposed to be that bridge to the Kawhi era, and now it's like, what is he the bridge to? Yeah, yeah. and then it's especially worrisome because Greg Popovich is probably retiring within the next two years i mean he's got his next gig lined up he's heading into his 70s if he's not already there right he's this might accelerate that too yeah yeah (laughs) for sure he's like well i have a promise to keep to lamarcus aldridge but uh nah nah i'm I'm okay i'm good i got five championships i'm fine um yeah and then if you don't have pop around to sort of maintain that and you know you know obviously parker and ginobili are sort of past their best years they they might not even be rotation players next year um you know then what do you have as a franchise right that it really does feel like the spurs you know put the whole thing in Kawhi leonard it's like hey man you are going to carry us for the future you're going to be the piece that attracts other players to come play with us because otherwise who's really dying to come to san antonio without pop without Kawhi? it's it's going to be very dire for them um and so that's why it's really strange to me that like the Spurs operated this year as they did. I mean, like it's obviously the Spurs are a great franchise. They didn't, they don't need to bend over and kiss anyone's behind. And I guess they don't need to do that for Kawhi, but for them to sort of draw the line in the sand and say, it's the, it's his group that controls everything. Um, you know, sort of you know, alienated him to a point where he clearly wasn't healthy or he clearly didn't feel healthy enough to play and force him to play. Like, you know, it's a strange decision, and we're going to look back at it as kind of a mistake that the Spurs franchise made because you, no matter what happened, you needed to hold on to Kawhi. Uh, last point we'll make about Kawhi is um, the fact that he could potentially end up on the Lakers. That seems to be his preference. Uh, and if you know he's most willing to re-sign with the Lakers, then the Lakers should theoretically be the team that should be most uh, willing to trade some assets back in return. And... Um, you know, if Kawhi does end up going to the Lakers, how does that affect LeBron's free agency decision? Because all of a sudden, it looks like L.A. You know, Vegas really loves the idea of both Kawhi and LeBron going to L.A. And LeBron was already rumored to go to L.A. anyway. But if you have two pieces like that, two top five players, like that could be a really, really fantastic start to what could be um, 
the Lakers coming back once and for all. Yeah, it could be. I still look at it though as like the Warriors have top, uh, two top five players. They just also have Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. That's true. Um, and you know the Rockets. Chris Paul's probably not a top five player anymore, but they still have two top ten, top fifteen players, including the guys about to win MVP. Like, I don't know. I still think there might be better options for LeBron, even if Kawhi was in LA. Uh, so I don't think that necessarily kind of like closes the book, or it's like, well, now they're getting LeBron. Yeah, but I, I do think that that makes it like a way more appealing for sure. opportunity yeah, for, for sure. him, right? Especially just just to think that he was considered like. I mean, we don't really know, but like the reports were that he's like considering going there anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that basically combines the two things that we can reasonably believe that he wants, which is to you know go to a destination like LA where he can kind of start to plan for his life after you know after basketball move his family there and like have that sort of sense of place and security he spends the summers there anyway he has a production company that's based out of LA do I gotta be realtor will again do I gotta tell you about LeBron's two 20 million 20 million dollar house two two 20 million dollar mansions (laughs) one of them is probably for him to live in yeah yeah um so you know you have all that kind of off-court stuff that's already a draw Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you have, you know, like another top five player there to play with and the chance to, I mean, look, like a, a chance to attract another free agent, basically. Like the Lakers could clear out enough cap space. Um, if, if basically, if Luol Deng is involved in that trade to get Kawhi. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm just saying, like the Spurs, you have to draw a line somewhere and say, yeah. look, we're not taking Luol Deng. No, because like, at look, that point, you're just straight up facilitating a super team. Yes. But, okay, but but... What what other salaries are the Lakers able to attach in order to? They don't I, need to. They, have oh, they, they can absorb it in the cap space, yeah, yeah. right? Okay, so if they can, you know, attach the attractive enough assets to make the Spurs comfortable enough to take on Deng's contract in that deal, you are able to absorb Kawhi, you know, without uh, mucking up your two max slot cap space, and then you can have LeBron and potentially Paul George as well. Like, or if it's not Paul George, then. I don't know, maybe it's DeMarcus Cousins, you know, like a, a second-tier sure. uh, free agent star who who is kind of rounding out that roster and giving you, I think, probably a pretty legitimate shot, at least in the next couple of years, to topple the Warriors. Um, I, I think that checks most of the boxes, and, and I feel like Kawhi being there probably helps a lot. Uh, I don't know. Who really knows? Who, who knows what LeBron's thinking? Who knows what he wants? Like... There was a report out today from I think Joe Varden mm-hmm. um, saying that he's the, the his camp has talked to the Cavs, and the Cavs are like they're against blowing it up. They're trying to like get more veteran help right now, in a desperate attempt to get him to stay. Um, they're fronting, yeah, yeah. They're just they, they might they, be, but I, sound good. but I but I think what I what I took out of that was like nobody really knows. That's true. I agree with that. And I, don't, I don't even know if LeBron knows yet. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, that that seems to be the sentiment. It's like he hasn't made up his mind yet, and he's probably waiting to see like where these pieces fall, right? As like, he should. It's Although, all you know. Honestly, if I'm if I'm LeBron and sort of knowing how LeBron handles these things, he's probably already talking to some of these free agents. He's like, engineering this course. Yeah, he's probably engineering. <laughs> yes. Like this is like the two weeks since. Like I don't know how much vacation he's done, but you think he's talked to Kawhi? I don't think anyone's talked to Kawhi. I don't think Kawhi talks. Like, I think if anyone has talked to Kawhi, it's LeBron. Bro, Kawhi LeBron's has a lot of explaining puppet to do. mastering yeah. this whole thing. Yeah. Well, that eventual press conference with Kawhi being announced as wherever team he goes to is going to be really weird because he's going to be asked like twenty five questions. What? And he'll like, answer. He'll answer those twenty five questions in two point five words. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there, there was um, 
people made a big stink about this Jordan brand thing. Mm. And we turned down that kind of pathetic Jordan brand offer at the start of last year. And people think that might have part of the reason why his team wants him out of San Antonio. They think he'll have more and better opportunities to, uh, you know, get better marketing deals elsewhere. So I don't know, maybe, maybe part of LeBron's recruitment pitch is getting him onto the Nike side of things. And like, I mean, LeBron presumably has a lot of sway at Nike. Like, hey, maybe man. maybe that's part of the deal. A billion dollars invested in LeBron. And it, it, it looks it would look a lot better if LeBron was in a good situation in, in, in L.A., you know? Yeah. Um, Paul George, also a Nike client. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and, and when you say that deal, like, that's the part where, like, if you're San Antonio, like, small markets are always going to be at a disadvantage, right? Like... That deal was worth twenty million over four years. The, the offer that Kawhi got, and that's after he became the third best player in the league, um, had all these accomplishments, won a title, was Finals MVP. And to put that in perspective, like that's a respectable deal. Most NBA players would love to get that deal, but like even a guy like Lonzo Ball, like before he even entered the league um, and played a single regular season game, he was already being offered twenty million over five years from the same company. So it's like, man, like, what can you really do, right? And that's just a difference where if you have some hype behind you and you play in L.A., then it's a, it's a already, it, it already gives you so much extra in terms of how much marketability you have. Whereas if you're Kawhi and you're famously quiet and you play in San Antonio, that doesn't really matter how good you are. You're just not going to get that money. And so if money is suddenly all of a sudden this big factor, then... I will you know. say that, like, Westbrook got a huge deal from Jordan, though, right? That's true. So I, I, but Westbrook's I think... way more out there. But that's, that's what, what I mean. Is how much of this was market and how much of it is Kawhi's personality, yeah. right? Yeah. Which isn't a negative to each their own. He's a quiet dude. But, like, do, is Kawhi Leonard all of a sudden more marketable in L.A.? Right? Mm. Sure. Of course, like, the market makes him a little more marketable. But, like, is Kawhi Leonard the person suddenly more marketable in a Lakers jersey? What do we even know about Kawhi Leonard the person? Exa- but, Other than that, he has a big hand. So unless, That's already like, a marketing campaign Unless for his whole plan is to, like, go to a bigger market and then just, like, show us this personality he's never shown, which, I don't know, maybe that is his plan. But, like, I don't know if I necessarily buy the fact that, like, It'd Kawhi be awesome Leonard, if he went to LA and just like st- like became just, a completely different like, person. Straight up, becomes like the first person to go yeah, to LA and like, become a different person. Becomes a movie star. Becomes like yeah, yeah. It's like showing up like wearing just completely ridiculous Westbrookian outfits love every it, game. Love it. Starts yeah. telling us that nobody watched him in San Antonio like KD <laughs> oh, style. No, I really hope he doesn't pull the KD heel turn. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, the quiet thing is going to be really huge. Um. We're going to take a quick break right here, uh, and we are going to come back on the other side with a extended look at the NBA draft, which is coming up this Thursday. Welcome back to the second half of the Pound the Rock podcast. As always, a reminder to please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps us tremendously um for the second half we're gonna preview uh the nba draft which is coming up this week uh, on thursday june 21st and uh you know back to preview the draft our, our draft expert uh will sahir will how's it going uh lots of topics uh, about the draft uh first one obviously the number one pick it's it's the last time you were on, you uh, talked a lot about Doncic. There was a lot of hype for Doncic. I think that was around the time Doncic helped Real Madrid win uh, EuroLeague. Um, but he's sliding a little bit. You don't really hear a lot of about Doncic going number one, and you hear you know DeAndre Ayton boldly proclaiming that he is going to be the number one pick to the Phoenix Suns. Um, 
What do you? Who do you think is? The, I mean, has your perception of the two players changed? And if it is going to be eight number one, why would it be eight number one? Uh, my big thing is, I understand the hype behind Aiton. I do. I would have him on top of my draft board as well, just based on his ceiling. Uh, the issue is, at the end of the day, he's a center. Just the center position is not as useful as it was. You've seen guys like Rudy Gobert was unplayable against Houston, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be the best defensive player in the NBA. He's probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, you just you don't see centers as effective as they used to be, and the concerns about Doncic's athleticism still surprise me. Uh, I I wouldn't hesitate to take him second overall. Right, he should definitely be in contention for that top spot as well. Uh, there should be more of a conversation about it, but the fact that he's sliding down to down to I've seen fifth and sixth, that's criminal. Mm-hmm. You have a kid that can hit up hit the. A step back three he can pull up from three sure his three-point percentage wasn't outstanding he was shooting 33 percent euro league but taking a lot of tough shots yeah he's taking a lot of tough shots he's getting double teamed a lot he's getting bullied a lot uh and at the end of the day he's a 19 year old and he's shooting shooting in the 80s from the free throw line as well like you know he has a good stroke he has outstanding mechanics and he's he'll he'll be fine on the pro level uh so it, it is a little strange to me but i do get the hype behind ayton but I would say that his defensive issues are a little more frightening than Doncic's mm-hmm. uh, defensive issues just because you have a big physical forward that's going to be able to keep up with other forwards. Aiton can't keep up on switches. He's going to do a decent job protecting the rim, but he's not an elite rim protector. He's not like the Bombas or the Jaron Jacksons. Right. Uh, so I think that's a definite concern. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely surprising me to see him slide. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like Aiden is at all like a safe pick just because, you know, he went to school nearby in Arizona? Uh, I think he's, I don't know, he's situated around the area anyway. He is, like yeah. he's, you know, there's a lot of roots there. And, and for the Suns, they need a they need a big man to pair with uh, Trevor, or, or Trevor Booker. <laughs> Not Trevor Booker. No one's trying to pair anyone with Trevor Booker. With Devin Booker. Um, and, you know, I mean, Aiden, he, he said that's that's Kobe and Shaq 2.0, which is... Which is pretty hilarious. I'm it's not gonna lie. It's definitely egregious to say that. Like that's that's not that's not a good statement whatsoever. Like there, don't get me wrong. Aiton and Booker will be a lot of fun. They're gonna be a lot of fun to watch. Uh-huh. Two outstanding offensive players. That's gonna be a disaster on the defensive end. Like Devin Booker does not care. Plain <laughs> like, no, and simple. Like, I think I think we could safely say that he's an outstanding scorer though. He's averaging 25 in, in his uh, third season. He's still super young. Aiton looks like he's 42 years old, but he's only 19. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's got the Greg Oden. He really does. Face. Like he really does, and just he's he's a nasty physical specimen. So it'll definitely be interesting to see them play offensively. I wouldn't call it Shaq and Kobe 2.0, mm-hmm. not just yet, but it should work pretty well, though, right? Like a really will, athletic rim running seven footer with sure. great hands for sure. Playing pick and roll with a guy who can shoot most from definitely. I can imagine the pick and pop between the two of them, the pick and roll between the two of them. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch together, but. Uh, at the same time, like if the if the Suns don't retain Alfred Payton, they mm-hmm. don't have a point guard on the roster. And do you really want Alfred Payton to be your starting point guard to begin with? Like, yeah. Uh, at least at least with Doncic, you know you're gonna get a guy that can pass the ball better than anybody else you can get in the draft. You're gonna get a guy that you know that could score next to Devin Booker. And I'm not saying that he's a better fit than Ayton, but mm-hmm. at the same time, he's definitely not a bad fit. Right. He would be just fine next to him, and he also has the. Uh, Euro connection with uh, Kokoskov. Mm-hmm. He coached him in Slovenia, helped him win the uh, 
the Eurobasket championship. Like there is still connections there. Right. Obviously not as deep rooted as Aiton's connections. Um, you mentioned earlier about Aiton's defensive weaknesses. Um, there's a lot of centers in this draft, especially um, at the top of this draft. And, you know, with the game being played the way it is, like if you look at the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals, just the final four teams in the NBA this year, there was like maybe two legitimate centers left. And one of them was Clint Capella. He was playing like 24 minutes a game. And the other one was Tristan Thompson, who's not really even a center. He came into the league as a power forward and he was shifted to center as a league uh, downsized. So it's it's interesting to me that there's so many centers at the top of the draft. And, you know, uh, I think part of why there's not as many centers is because there's so many demands um, from that position. And it's sort of the criteria has changed. So out of these five players, which are all going to go in the lottery, the high end of the lottery, top 10 picks, uh, Marvin Bagley, Mo Bamba, Jaron Jackson, DeAndre Aiden, and Wendell Carter, uh, which can you rank the five those five players in terms of which um, which of them are most suited for the modern game? I can comfortably put Bamba at the very top. Okay, he's just so long and like he. A lot of people say that he reminds them of Gobert, and I get it. But he's also longer than Gobert. He's more athletic than Gobert. Mm-hmm. Gobert's stronger, but on switches, I think once he gets more comfortable with lateral movement, like he's going to be deadly on those switches. Like okay. it's, he's going to be tough to burn past. And then if he learns to shoot the three. You're going to have a legit 3 and D guy that's 7-1 with a 7-10 wingspan. Mm-hmm. That's frightening. You know, if he can get a little bit of post play as well, he's already a great transition player, so he's easily on the top of my list. Um, Jaron Jackson's an outstanding 3 and D player as well. <laughs> like right. that's, he, he shot 80-something. I think he shot 80% from the free throw line. He shot 40% from three. Um, he was averaging uh, 5.5 blocks per 40. Like, that's outstanding. Right. That's a bit of foul trouble. A lot of foul trouble, unfortunately. I think that's what scares me about him. Can he right. stay on the floor? Uh, is he going to have a lot of mental lapses? Who knows? He's still... He's a young player, but so is everybody else. But he's young in the mind as well. He's not fully mature yet in terms of his on-court IQ. Mm-hmm. But in terms of modernized basketball, he's definitely up there. He's, he's easily the second guy in the uh, in the draft. I'd probably go Wendell Carter third. Mm-hmm. Just because you're going to get a definite rim protector there as well who's shown that he can hit the three, who has like a nice touch around the basket. Um, Aiton has a higher ceiling than all these guys, but he you have to put him fourth because you just don't know what he could do for you defensively. Like granted, he was playing out of position. Uh, he had Dusan Ristich next to him at the, at the uh, five, so he had to play the four throughout the season. But mm-hmm. like even so, he just, he, he wasn't horrible around the rim, protecting the rim because he's so strong, but... He's got a ways to go. He's definitely slow laterally. He's got some. He's got some work to do there. Um, and then there's Bagley, who I've repeatedly been low on, and I feel like he might end up making you look bad for saying all this. But I just I don't necessarily see it with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's not a good defender. If you can't defend in the zone, I don't know what you could do. He's Wendell right. Carter's teammate. You know, he's probably going to have to play the five in the NBA, which I think is better suited for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, great offensive player. He could score. But he's strictly left-handed. If you force him right, we don't know what he could do yet. Right. Uh, he does a great job on the block. Tr- like tremendous, tremendous basketball IQ on offense. But mm-hmm. kind of can be selfish. Kind of, uh, kind of a selfish player offensively. He demands the ball way too much for for a big man. And I just don't know what he could do for you athletically or uh, defensively. Sorry. Like his athleticism so terrific. But when it comes down to it, you need him to protect the rim, and that's something he hasn't been able to prove. True. Um. 
another guy that's sort of uh, had a lot of hype recently, Michael Porter Jr. Um, he's rumored to go as high as number two to the Kings, who have consistently really been uh, high on him. The Kings, of course, like they moved up a ton in the draft. So I think initially they were looking in like the six to seven range. Yeah. And then they moved up, right? But it seems like they're still that high on Michael Porter. They might take him number two or they might trade down uh, with the goal of eventually picking up Porter. Um, however, Porter has significant injury issues. Um, how serious do you think those in- injury issues are and how much of a high upside play uh, is there with Porter? Because we only saw three games of him in college. One of them wasn't even really a game. He came off the bench. He didn't really play um, at the same level he did in high school, but... At the end of the day, this is a six foot ten forward with uh, a nice little, a really really nice mid range game. He can shoot it really well, um, and you know that's kind of the ideal player in the modern NBA. He's gonna if he does stay healthy, he's gonna be terrific. I don't think anybody's debating that. But those health concerns are scary. Uh, he he played two minutes in the first game of the season, didn't play again until the last two games and he didn't look right which is understandable he wasn't fully healthy i get it he recently had spasms and he had to cancel a workout like that's a that's a red flag to me um but i get what the kings are trying to do here it makes sense that they would be eyeing him down i don't see why if you're in sacramento's position you wouldn't take a high floor player mm-hmm. like Doncic. you can plug him in next to a guy like bogdanovich you can plug him in next to a couple half decent bigs that you- have some potential like collie stein like you would think, like, out of all people, it would be Vladi Divac as a GM that yes. drafts Doncic. You would think. And that's what think. I, that was my assumption initially. But I, I get what they're trying to do with the home run pick. If Porter is healthy, he mm-hmm. could easily become the best guy in this draft. He could easily, at the very least, become the best scorer in this draft. And that's right. something that they definitely lack. They had Zebo as their <laughs> leading man, you know, the plodding 36 year old that hasn't been good in a few years, averaging 14 points a game as their leading scorer. Mm. They need somebody to take over that offense. And if they can get a healthy Michael Porter, I get it. But just so many red flags when it comes to it. Yeah. Um, moving down later in the draft, the Grizzlies have the fourth pick. Uh, they moved down after the, uh, the lottery results. And, you know, the Grizzlies, the owner, Robert Para, he uh, – he said basically there's no reason why the Grizzlies can't make it to the playoffs again, which is a little bit crazy, but not necessarily that crazy. Like, they got a healthy Mike Conley back if Marcus Gasol can stay healthy. Again, those are huge question marks. But if they stay healthy and then they move the number four pick into something else, um, you know, it could be good, right? They could be good. And so do you foresee the Grizzlies um, moving the number four pick, maybe in a p- package to move off uh, Chandler Parsons' onerous deal? And do you think that's a wise decision by the Grizzlies? I think they're a little too desperate to get rid of Parsons. I, mean, I, I don't really necessarily blame them because it's Chandler Parsons and he hasn't done anything in a few years. And literally contract, has not done anything like, other than literally, party yes. and be on Instagram. <laughs> that's, no, that's what Chandler no Parsons is. There's no exaggeration. He's strictly a model now. Um, but yeah, it's, it makes sense that they would, try to be, they would try to move on from Chandler Parsons. But the top four pick, is that's a high pick at the end of the day. And it's, it's a deep enough draft where you can get somebody that can help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were going for somebody like Jaron Jackson, that's a little worrisome because you don't, he's not going to be able to help you get to, that, to the playoffs. But if Doncic slides to you, there's a good chance that that's better than anybody else that you could get at that, like in, in terms of a trade. Um, unless they're really, really trying to force it. Like if they traded that fourth pick without Parsons they might be able to get a little bit more out of it but mm-hmm. nobody wants that contract like that's they're just really desperate if that's the case right like right. Um, I've heard 
I know Raptors fans rumbling about, I wonder if the DeMar trade would make sense for the four and Parsons. And I just, it makes more sense for the Grizzlies, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Second team, all NBA yeah. shooting guard for and that's the number four to, pick right? and yeah, uh, it's a completely useless contract. <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of teams are trying to trade up and are trying to trade out of this draft just because they feel like it's deep enough where they can kind of escape with if they drop, if like the Kings went from second pick to the fifth pick, they could still end up with uh, Michael Porter Jr. or they went to the seventh pick, they could still end up with Porter Jr. Um, If the Grizzlies traded out of there and maybe traded to the Clippers, for instance, they could Mm -hmm. still get a couple solid players. Like that still exists. But I just, I don't know who's going to want to take on Parsons' contract, but man, the NBA is so unpredictable, so who knows? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then last thing, um, there's a lot of teams out there, like you just mentioned the Raptors, they don't have a pick in this upcoming draft, um, you know, that could be buying into the draft. And there's a lot of targets they can they can go after. Like the Hawks have four picks in this draft. The Sixers have six picks in this draft. It's crazy. Four second rounders. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Sam Hinkie, <laughs> for our, uh, hustling so much for those second rounders. Um, and so, you know, a lot of teams could be buying into the end of this draft and, um, you know, uh, if you're looking in the second round, if you're a contender uh, and you're trying to find a sleeper sort of on the low, sort of similar to how um, the Warriors bought that pick from the Bulls, number 38 last year, uh, and got Jordan Bell, who actually contributed in the playoffs and stuff, um, who are three second round sleepers um, that you've identified in this draft? Uh, a few guys that I like. Uh, Javon Carter from West Virginia is one. Uh, he just reminds me so much of Patrick Beverly and just a hard-nosed mm-hmm kind of small point guard that'll just get in your face right uh decent shooter he's not going to really hurt you on the offensive end he's not your ideal offensive point guard which is okay you're mm-hmm. mostly going to use him as a backup anyway it's a second round pick you're it's not a second round pick. exactly yeah. exactly so it's like look at what beverly's done in his career you know outside of this injury like he's molded a really nice role as like one of the tough guys in the league and carter can definitely do that he's a two-time defensive player of the year in the big 12 like very nice player, carved out a nice uh, college career. Uh, Amari Spellman is another one out of Villanova, you know, national champion. Mm-hmm. He could have stuck around and done well for himself under Jay Wright, but decided to stick with this draft. He's not going to make it the first round. He's, he's going to stick in the second round most likely. And, I mean, he's a big 6'9", 6'10", potential three-point shooter. Uh, he can he can make a difference on, on on the offensive end for a team that just needs a reliable reliable big that can kind of stretch the floor for them. And I like Gary Trent Jr. a lot as well out of out of Duke. You know, he's a – you don't have a lot of uh, – not a lot of guys that you're going to find too late that's going to hit the three as well as he does. Right. He shot like 42% out of Duke. Uh, definitely a reliable guy. He could he could sneak into the first round, but it's just – you have a lot of other guys that are starting to pop up in that round, and it's – odds are he's not going to be one of those guys. Uh, I, could, I could definitely see him, like with guys like Dante DiVincenzo, you know, forcing their way into the first round. Gary Trent's not one of those guys, but he will definitely get drafted and he'll be an effective shooter in the NBA. All right. Uh, for more Will's coverage, check out uh, the mock draft that is coming up uh, Tuesday. on Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday yep. on the score. And, you know, we'll, we'll have plenty of analysis uh, of the draft and live coverage on Thursday and uh, probably a live reaction podcast as well. Um, after the uh, the draft is concluded. Will, thanks again. Of course. Okay, welcome back to Pound the Rock. Uh, we're going to move into our Make or Miss segment. We're back here with uh, Wolfon and Cash. And as always, Make or Miss, 
I'm going to read out the statement. If you agree, it's a make. If you disagree, it's a miss. This time, I've actually made sure to create statements that you can actually say yes or no to. So let's start with the first one. Um, the hiring of Nick Nurse will be the solution for the Raptors' playoff woes. Make or miss? I'm going to say miss, and I'm not. that's not a knock on Nick Nurse's. Like, the guy's supposed mm-hmm. to be well-respected, seen as like a creative genius kind of offensively. I think he might help them get more creative. And maybe, if everything works out, he raises their playoff ceiling a little bit. But to say that he's going to solve their woes as if their woes aren't largely dependent on where LeBron James ends up and like the mental hurdle that comes with that, I just, I'm not buying that. That's a miss. Yeah, I agree. I think Nick Nurse is going to continue running through the six with the Raptors' playoff woes. That's, that's, that's some good podcasting right there. <laughs> All right, that leads to the next question then. Uh, make or miss, the Raptors are planning for a rebuild by reportedly trading one of their stars for a top 10 pick. Uh, a report from Mark Stein says the Raptors are desperately trying to get into this lottery to draft, uh, you know, Canadian point guard Shy Gilgis Alexander. Cash, make or miss? Miss. I don't listen. I respect Mark Stein as a reporter, but I, I don't buy this. I think everything we've heard from Masai Ujiri and and most of what we know is I don't think this team's planning on taking a big step back. And if they were, all due respect to Alexander, I don't think he's <laughs> no shy. for real. You know, like yeah, yeah he seems like a pretty maybe high ceiling Canadian prospect. But come on, like are you really are you really gonna just blow everything up just to get into the lottery to draft? Like I don't buy that. I think they might be trying to get into the lottery to get him, but I don't buy the fact that they're willing to take like a step back when, especially we're talking about a point guard, like they've got, especially when they've made it clear that they want to bring Fred Van Vliet back. Mm -hmm. So like, even if you trade Kyle Lowry, you're going to bring like a project point guard into a system with Fred Van Vliet and DeLon Wright. I just don't buy it. And he projects to be most similar to DeLon Wright, who is already on the Raptors roster. But Wolfon, what say you? I'm going to call it a make and not necessarily specifically honing in on Gilgis Alexander, but just kind of in the big picture sense, I can understand why the Raptors might be looking to get into the lottery and why they might be willing to trade one of their stars in order to do that. Um, Now, to me, there's like a big difference uh, between trading Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. I think one of those guys you could trade and still remain a very competitive basketball team. I think if you trade Lowry you're taking a, a significant step back. Um, and I think that changes their near-term outlook a lot more. But I, I understand them kind of looking at the team that they have now and looking at their playoff flameouts from the last couple of years and recognizing that, you know, this this window of pseudo-contention is has reached a ceiling and is probably going to come to an end pretty soon anyway. And, you know, deciding that they want to sort of start from something closer to the ground up. And they already have a pretty solid, you know, youth movement in place. And continuing to add to that, I think, would make sense. And it's sort of like we were talking about with the Spurs earlier. It's like you shift your window of contention a few years down the road, accepting that you've maxed out what you have right now. And again, like, you're taking a shot, right? Like, you have no idea whether any of these guys that you could draft in the top 10 is going to end up being anywhere near as good as a guy like DeMar DeRozan. But... uh, I can understand why they would look at the situation and decide that it's worth the risk. Mm. All right, next one. Uh, make or miss, the Warriors will regret teasing KD about his max deal during their championship parade. Perhaps a little bit too much Henny was uh, consumed, but uh, Bob Myers accidentally let it slip that, um, you know, Steph got his max because he quote-unquote earned it. He was here from the day one, whereas KD, you know, he joined the team in progress, but KD is... Uh, possibly going to be a fridge in the summer. 
probably going to be trying to get that uh, super max. And you know, they, I don't know, did they did they cost themselves somewhere with KD? Look, I wish this was a make. Mm. I wish KD could add to his like history of being so thin skinned that like right. things like this would actually affect. It would be fantastic, but it's a miss. Yeah. Uh, Bob Myers, even their broadcaster, like throwing shade at him during don't get me wrong there was like it was kind of awkward it like it was, was, a, it was a little weird i feel bad for katie so did I. yeah it, it was a little awkward but at the same time like katie also said during that exact period like while they were trolling i mean he said a few minutes later that like he's pretty much coming back and it's like not even a question that's true yeah i mean i don't know i, I don't see i don't see it making any kind of difference but i i really have a hard time getting a read on what katie thinks or what he wants because he sends so many mixed messages and, uh, you know, on the one hand, he's talking about how he craves validation from his peers. Like, you know, the next day is talking about how he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him and like, you know, he feels validated in his own accomplishments. Like, I, I don't really know what he wants or how this stuff really affects him, but I feel like, uh, at least for now, like he, he's pretty securely in Golden State and what ultimately changes that equation if it ever does change i don't think is is going to be something like you know him getting good-naturedly teased by by the warriors brass i think it'll it'll have to come from him and it'll have to be him deciding like it's time to strike out and do something new um so yeah i agree it's a miss yeah look i i, I agree as well i mean if you're kd though i do feel bad for him a little bit because look if he's He's won two finals. Um, he's won two finals MVP as well. He's outplayed LeBron arguably over these two finals. If you just compare their stats straight up, obviously Katie's had better teammates to work with, so it's not definitive. But um, if you're KD, you've done everything in your power to try to prove that you know you belong, that you've accomplished all this. But you still need someone to back you up at, at the end of the day. And if it's your own teammates and your own GM um, teasing you during the championship parade, it just comes off as a bad look because everyone is everyone else is already out to get KD anyway. So, um, you know, it's just regrettable from that perspective uh, for the Warriors. Next one, make or miss. The Wolves need to pick between one of Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins going forward. Um, there was a report that came out over the weekend that... You know, Butler wasn't really thrilled with the way Wiggins played defense or the way Wiggins worked in this game, which uh, wouldn't make him the first to have those concerns about Wiggins. But uh, Wiggins is signed long-term, whereas Butler, you know, is on for one more year. So, Cash, make or miss. They got to pick one of the two. Uh, I don't think they have to pick one of the two, but if they did, I think it's very obvious who the pick is. It's Jimmy Butler. Like, Andrew Wiggins is not – sorry, he's not – I don't think he's going to be the player Jimmy Butler is ever. Uh, the issue is that he's on – he's signed for, like, 13 years and a billion dollars you know like and no one's taking that contract so i think it's a make and you know even apart from jimmy butler's alleged concerns about andrew wiggins defense and work ethic uh the fact that wiggins is on this monstrous contract and that jimmy butler's coming up for a new contract after next season and the fact that carl anthony towns is going to be extension eligible this offseason you're going to have a real logjam and they're going to have to get off some money. So I don't know that it's realistic to have Wiggins on a max contract, Towns presumably on a max contract, and Butler on probably something pretty close to a max contract as well. Uh, I don't think that's tenable. Um, so obviously out of those three guys, I feel like Wiggins is the one who probably needs to go. Whether they can find a workable trade involving him is another story. But I think for the financial reasons alone, yeah, they have to pick. 
Um, yeah, I mean, look, the crazy part about this, the Wigan thing is that, you know, before he signed the contract, uh, remember there was that whole big thing. There was a bit of a delay when he signed it because uh, he needed to talk to the Wolves owner and the Wolves owner needed to make sure that he was going to promise to improve, which is just wild. Um, if you have to make the guy promise to improve, um, yeah, maybe maybe you oughtn't be shelling out a max contract for yeah, him like, in the first place. If you need him to say to you, all right, look, man, I'm going to improve this $150 million. Like, if you put $150 million in front of anybody, they will say whatever they need to do to get that money. So, uh, you know. Yeah, that's what I call a coerced confession right there. Yeah, yeah. They're like, hey, listen, will you promise to do this if we give you this? He was like, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. All right, next one. Uh, make or miss. The Lakers are lame for asking Kyle Kuzma and Lonzo Ball to tone down their tweets. Yeah, look, it's lame, but I'm not going to lie to you. Like, the the Lonzo diss track of Kuzma, I, we're talking about, like, the KD stuff being a little awkward on the stage when they were ribbing him. Like, I thought that was a little awkward. And I guess, like, we don't know their friendship. Maybe, like, it's literally, like, nothing is off limits. I don't know. Like, we started, like, bringing family stuff into it. Yeah. I, I did think it was a little kind of over the line, and I... I think it's very reasonable that the organization that employs them probably told them, like, hey, guys, like, it's all in good-natured fun, but maybe tone it down a little bit. I just, like, can't even care about this enough to weigh in, to be honest. Um, if it was like they were stepping in and imposing some sort of, right. like, fines or, like, other, other you know, team-issued discipline, then I might have a different feeling about it. But them just stepping in to be like, guys, maybe you should think about toning it down doesn't really move the needle yeah. for me. I think... It's whatever. Like, I understand it's the Lakers. Like, they want to project this sheen of professionalism, especially in this big free agent summer for them. So I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, they got bigger Ma- fish to fry. Magic, like- I can't say two words without getting uh, fined for tampering Johnson, trying to show off a sheen of professionalism. <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. But, um, I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's I, like, it's, I, I, it's, I just wanted it's, to make that joke. All right, respect. <laughs> um, yeah, but my answer is I don't care. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if you're the Lakers, you probably just don't want any other distractions. But, uh, yeah, no, seriously, this is not something to care about. This is, however, something to care about. The last make or miss question for this week's podcast. Make or miss, Mike Bibby, the jacked up version in 2018, looks like the N1 logo. Man, I do not remember the N1 logo looking oh, that man. jacked. No, I'm saying I don't remember him looking that jacked. I remember the N1 logo. But oh, okay, okay. Mike this... Bibby looks like a guy who could beat the crap out of the N1 logo. <laughs> yeah, <though>. Exactly. <laughs> in both uh, basketball and also Like put him fight. in a sleep roll and just choke him out with those biceps. What happened to him? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Let's get Mike you Bibby got, on you the You got, got the Bowflex, I think. He's got more than Bowflex. That's not just Bowflex. <laughs> that's, that's something else, too. Creatine. Um, yeah, I mean, what was the last time we saw Mike Bibby? Like was the heat? Is is that what happened? Like, did he play in Big Three? Oh, I think did, he did. I don't, is that so that he's been? He's been working out with Ice Cube, man. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yo, yeah. I don't. I I didn't actually really watch any Big Three. I don't know if he played in Big Three or not. But I, he feels like he fits the bill. You know. I think he actually did. Yeah. I'm pre- yes, he is. Right. He is in the Big Three. He is in the Big Three. I mean, honestly, uh, I would not be. I would not be looking forward to playing Mike Bibby. In the big three, apparently he's acquired Alonzo Mourning's upper body <laughs> as part of his training. So, um, anyway, uh, that does it for this week's podcast. Uh, thanks again to Will for coming on and discussing the draft. Uh, as we mentioned, we'll probably have a reaction podcast um, on the night of the draft after all the madness goes down. And, of course, thank you to both Joseph Cacharo and Joe Wolfman for um, doing the podcast as usual. And we'll be back on Thursday and also next Monday.